Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Grab your Bibles and open up with me this morning to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is where we're going to be. And we're going to look at several other texts, but the primary focal point for us is going to be John chapter 14. And uh, specifically, we're going to be looking at verse 15 through 31. Uh, We'll reference some of the earlier stuff in John 14, but for now, John 14, go ahead and turn there. And uh, over, really since the beginning of the year, uh, we've been walking through this journey to understand biblically uh, the, the three persons of the Godhead. And so if you haven't picked up on that, we, we started at the beginning of the year, and we focused on this truth that, of, of who is God. God is, and looking specifically at Scripture and understanding these attributes of God and uh, His characteristics throughout the whole of Scripture. And in the last several weeks, we've been focusing on the person of Jesus and asking the question, if I'm seeking to become more like Jesus, then what am I seeking to become? And so now we're actually going to shift gears today to, to focus on really uh, the, the third person of the Godhead who's often kind of pushed to the side and is left out where we don't talk a lot about it and we may reference uh, the, the Holy Spirit, we may even just identify that he exists, but beyond that, we don't often give much time to actually looking at biblically, why should we care? And there's so much significance here. I'm, I'm excited. This is actually going to be a four-week series that we focus on the person of the Spirit, the work of the Spirit, the gifting of the Spirit, and ultimately then how do we walk in the Spirit, as we'll see Scripture calls us to. And so we're going to start on that today, but as I was getting ready for this week and kind of preparing uh, how, to, how to relate this to where we're at and what's going on, uh, the, the first thing that actually came to mind was uh, a, sh- a TV show that my wife and I will watch on occasion, and, and one, of the, one of the types of shows, I guess you could say, that we enjoy is survivalist shows, where people have to survive in the elements and they employ various techniques or trainings that they've acquired over time, and they have to essentially just provide for themselves without any other modern means. And one of our favorite shows in this kind of genre of, of television is a show called Alone. And the premise of this show is they get ten people, and they kind of train them in what goes on in the specific area they're going to be dropped in over a week's time, and then essentially they take them out in the middle of nowhere and drop them off. And the whole premise of the show is uh, kind of vying for a cash prize that they get to receive if they outlast all of their other competitors. And so they're allowed to bring along a a limited number of items, like ten items that they can bring with them in their backpack, and they get to choose what those items are. And then that's all they have. That's all they have. They're dropped miles and miles and miles away from anyone else they're competing against. And in all reality, 
away from anything and everything else. In the mountains, along rivers, just desolate nothing. And in the process of their journey, they, they face hunger, they face predators, they face storms going on around them. And ultimately, you kind of see uh, all of this take its toll in various ways upon people to where um, over time, some, some only last a few days, some last uh, months, uh, but eventually all but one of them taps out. And uses their sat phone they have and calls and says, I'm done. I, you know, I, I can't do this any longer. But this whole premise focused around how do we respond when we're alone. And many times in our Christian life, we can feel very alone. Some of you may be feeling that, especially during this time where you have to be at home and stuff has to look different and you can't follow the normal routines and you just feel alone and you feel this weight. And uh, in the midst of that, spiritually, we, we may feel nourished one day and then the next day feel like, oh my goodness, I just feel like I'm in a desert. It's just desolate. And we face storms, we face seasons of spiritual hunger, we, we face uh, what we could identify as predators or threats to our faith. And all in the midst of this kind of processing and, and even our own, mental, our, our own mental and emotional threats that, that step in there. But the question that I want to ask today is, are we really left alone? Are, are we really just left here on our own to fend for ourselves and hope that at the end of the day, what we've committed to and what we've spent our time on is glorifying to God. And so, we're, the, as I said before, the goal of this series is not only to increase our understanding of the Spirit's role, but also to gain an appreciation for this third member of the Godhead that we often claim is there but fail to understand so i want to turn to scripture in john chapter 14 and i want to start specifically at uh verse verse 15 i'm going to read to the end of chapter 14 we're going to pray and we're going to talk about this a little more and look today specifically at two realities in relation to the person of this of the holy spirit and then uh at the end of all this, we're going to talk about why should I care? Like, how does this really impact me? So follow along with me. John 14, starting in verse 15. says, if you, will love, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is Jesus talking here. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? 
Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now, I have told you before, it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Father, as we encounter this today, may you equip us with understanding and by your Spirit give us insight into your Word. Lord, bring clarity to this and equip us through your Spirit to understand the work of the Spirit, the person of the Spirit and how to faithfully walk in the Spirit. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we encounter this passage in John 14, before we move further into the broader discussion, there's two terms that I really want to emphasize and kind of express or explain to you. And I don't often do this because I I really want to shy away from you getting the idea or the concept that you have to somehow have this intensely profound knowledge of, of biblical language and truth in order to understand it. And that's just not true. But at times, it benefits us to stop and consider the depth of what a word or a couple of words mean in relation to a discussion. And so there's two words that I just want you to be able to hear and understand and kind of comprehend what they refer to and what they, what they speak towards. And the first one of those is the word pneuma. Everyone say pneuma. And this word simply means spirit or wind. And so any time throughout the scriptures when you see the Holy Spirit talked about in the sense where it's translated in English to spirit, this would be the word that if you research this in the Greek text, you would find the word pneuma in its various forms to describe the Holy Spirit. Now, in a similar fashion, the next word I want to draw your attention to is the word parakletos. Everyone say parakletos. And that word in itself means advocate, helper, or intercessor. Any of those words. And some of your English translations may interpret them as such. But the really impactful part of that word parakletos is it's a combination word. The first portion of that being para, which is alongside, if you were to translate it into one English word. And the word uh, kaleo is to call or to summon. And so the word parakletos, and I'm going to point to this in the text here in just a minute, really means uh, to, to call or to summon alongside. 
So if you have an image of this, to the, coming alongside of someone in a journey or to walk alongside or to someone and, summon someone and say, hey, come help, come walk with, uh, intercede on behalf of, you, you get kind of the idea. And so where we see both of these words and terminologies, even in our text today, is uh, in uh, verse 16 as one example where Jesus says, and I will ask the Father and he will give to you another helper to be with you forever. That word helper is the word parakletos. Now, right after that, in verse 17, it says, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That word spirit for spirit of truth is the word pneuma. And so we see this direct correlation, and the importance of this is Jesus is not talking about two distinct entities. He's talking about one being, the Holy Spirit, who is the helper, who is the one who's called alongside, who is the one who intercedes. And this is the Spirit that Jesus has promised to his disciples. And so I want you to see this because the reality here is maybe we could easily say, well, Jesus said he's going to send a helper. Who is this helper? Well, the helper is the Spirit, and it's important for us to grasp that as a whole. Now, as we seek to unpack this, there's really two main aspects of the, the person of the Holy Spirit that I want to challenge you in today. And the first one of those is that the Spirit is personal, not impersonal. The Spirit is personal, not impersonal. Now, a couple places where we see examples of this in the text. The first one in verse 16, like we just referenced, that term parakletos, he will give you another helper. Now, stop for a minute and consider in your own mind what comes to mind when you think of a helper. A helper is not someone who's just kind of impersonal and uh, apart from everything that's going on, but someone who's truly a helper is going to be involved and intentional and understands the depth of who you are and more than that even understands the depths of what's needed. And this was be the same concept behind when Jesus created Adam in the garden and he said, well, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to create a helper for him. It's, this is an advantageous thing for Adam. Because he wasn't enough in and of himself to complete what God had intended. And the same concept carries over into New Testament theology when we understand that in and of our own selves, within our sin and everything, the, the baggage and the bondage we bring to this, we, we can't do this on our own. And Jesus' disciples knew this very well because they were with Jesus. And walking through all of this, they were challenged by the reality of going, Jesus... How are we supposed to continue on without you here? How, how are we supposed to navigate this? And Jesus' promise here of the helper, the spirit that is to come, is not some impersonal force to say, oh, you guys will figure it out because, you know, all the time there's just going to be this passive, impersonal thing that's going to be in the background. But rather it's personal. He's personal in nature. Now the second part of this is Jesus actually identifies in verse 17 that you know him, speaking to his disciples, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, I don't know what more personal terminology you can get than saying this 
being, this entity, the spirit, is so personal, it's going to be a part of who you are because you're in Christ, because you're in me. It's personal, not impersonal, external, outside, but actually dwelling within you. And another example of the personal nature of the Holy Spirit is he's identified as a teacher or a guide. If you look down at verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, there's those two words again, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. In other words, The Spirit, again, is not just passive, impersonal, but personally involved in not only teaching and equipping you, but also reminding about the teachings that Jesus has already communicated. That's what he's saying to his disciples. And we would identify and even say the same thing in a setting like this, where the Spirit is the one who does the work, even though it's my words that are coming through we, we trust the Spirit's work to really teach you and equip you and challenge you and convict. And that can't be done by some impersonal being. It's personal. Now, if you were to go forward a little more to chapter 16, in verses 13 through 15, it says, When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So teacher, a guide, intercessor, a helper, these are all personal terminologies. And so to understand the person and the character of the Holy Spirit, we need to be able to grasp and identify that this is not impersonal, but rather very personal within each of our own individual lives and within the whole of what we know as the church. Now the second part of this that's really important for us to understand if we're going to seek to grasp to our best of our ability the the spirit the holy spirit is that the spirit is not only personal but that the spirit is in fact god the spirit is god now i'm going to do my best to illustrate the to to reveal this to show this in the text of scripture um But I also want to just be transparent and vulnerable in saying that this brings about one of the most complex doctrines within the Christian faith. And uh, we could maybe unpack some more details regarding what that really looks like, but we'd be here a lot longer than we have time for this morning. And at minimum, what I want you to see is to see Scripture clearly revealing the character of the Holy Spirit being the very nature of God Himself, while still remaining distinct in His role, while still remaining distinct. And that, that whole concept is just baffling to our human understanding because we go, how can they be the same and yet distinct and yet not different? And 
how do we keep from making them three three different gods and yet how do we make the keep from making them all just one god in these three various forms it, it it's complex and there's going to be aspects like that in scripture that we just aren't going to understand until eternity and that's okay but I want you to see where that tension comes from because of how Scripture speaks about not only God and Christ, but also the Spirit and this intertwining that at times is just hard for us as humans to grasp. And so I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. It says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, to really hone into this in verse 10, where it says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now that alone, just in itself, is a powerful testimony and scriptural truth that identifies the Holy Spirit is not somehow separated from God, but is God fully and yet distinct in role. And if we want to unpack that even further, in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Now, if you continue reading in John chapter 1, you quickly identify that this Word was also the light to all men, and this light was the one who John, John the Baptist, came to testify about. And if you go further, John himself identifies Jesus as that word. And so we can trace that back and go, okay, John 1 here is talking about Jesus not only being with God, but was God himself. Now, if we take that concept itself and go to Romans chapter 8, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. 
if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Now, if you read this text, you could go, well, now this sounds like it's the Spirit of Christ. So which is it? What's going on here? Well, if we identify from John 1 that Jesus is, was not only with God, but was God in human form, and then we identify that the Spirit searches the depths of God in a way that no one else can because it's a part of who He is, and at the same time the Spirit is directly correlated to the person of Jesus, this whole concept peaks at the understanding of three distinct persons, one God. The very nature of the Trinity and the very understanding of that is that it's not only God the Father, it's not only God the Son, but it's God the Spirit in the same form and fashion to, to consider that He works as the one who dwells in us for the very same purposes that Jesus came and taught because their mission and purpose is exactly the same. Now to even take that further in John 17, it says, I made known to them your name and will continue, I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is Jesus praying the high priestly prayer as it's identified in John 17. And this whole concept, and maybe you're questioning, well, did Jesus ever directly correlate himself to God? We see that John 1, but someone else could append that. So how do we speak of that? And th- the interesting thing about that question is if we go to earlier in John chapter 14, Philip, one of the disciples, asks him the question, Lord, just show us the Father. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And we have to appreciate Philip here because sometimes we take the same mentality and we go, just show us, God. Just just help us to see. And Hebrews 11 speaks about that a little bit, about the, this nature of what faith should look like. And even Jesus' response to Thomas later in the Gospels when he says, blessed are those who believe and, and without seeing. And yet Philip here speaks for many people when he says, if you just show us, that would be enough. Show us the Father. But Jesus' response here is really profound. In verse 9, it says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Stop and think about that for a minute. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus, in his own words, identifies here, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What a profound teaching to his disciples, and especially in the times-constraint and season of that time. When you had the religious leaders, Jesus simply uttering those words would have been counted as blasphemous as he was other times. 
And yet there's significance there, not only in what he's communicating to his disciples here, but then in the promise later in 14 about this helper that's going to come to you is the spirit directly from God, is this helper. Now, a lot of that is theologically rich and is important for us to understand and comprehend. But many of you may be sitting there and just asking the question, what does this have to do with my day-to-day life? How does this practically apply to me and what's going on right now? And so I want to transition us in the time we have left to the question, how does the personal nature of the Spirit affect us? How does the personal nature of the Spirit affect us? And I'm going to give you three responses to that. And my prayer is that in application of these, it would be just an encouragement to you. Wherever you are and whatever you're experiencing right now, there's a lot happening in our culture. And so I pray that these truths coming from the text of Scripture would be an encouragement and would motivate you to continue searching the things of God and seeking to understand how He's called you to live. But also understanding that I don't have to do this alone. And so the first one of those is, wh- why, why, how does the personal nature of the, of the Spirit impact me? First off, it means that no matter what we're going through, in Christ, we are not alone. No matter what we're going through, in Christ, we are not alone. And to emphasize that from our text in verse 18 jesus says these words i will not leave you as orphans i will come to you jesus did not abandon his disciples then he left to be with the father and yet the spirit came upon them we see that happen in the book of acts In the same way, Jesus has not left you alone to fend for yourself. But the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives life to our mortal bodies. In a personal way, the very nature of God in His Spirit that equips us for everything that He's called us to. So that we don't have to depend upon our own power, our own strength, but we can rely fully on Him and know that He's with us always. Some of you just need to rest in that truth today because you feel like you are just alone. And I would challenge you even further to say, if that is you today, where are you fixing your eyes at? Where have you placed your trust? Because if it's just in yourself and your own abilities, you're going to feel inadequate because you are. But you are not alone. The second truth here is that it means that no matter what I understand or not, no matter what is clear to me or not, He intercedes for me. Now, a passage that speaks directly to this is in Romans 8. And Romans 8 is one of my favorite texts in Scripture. It's at the heart of the Gospel. And in Romans 8, Verses 26 and 27, it says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Summed up, you don't always have to know what to say. Because if you're in Christ, the Spirit of God dwells in you and intercedes for you. The third truth here in how it affects us is that it means that no matter what unknowns I face here, by the Spirit I am sealed for eternity. By the Spirit I am sealed for eternity. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, it says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. The personal nature of the Holy Spirit is what seals you. It's the stamp on your adoption papers that you are no longer slaves to the world, but you are a child of God. And nothing can take that away. We are, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So today, whether you are wrestling with all that has gone on, whether you are feeling alone and isolated, whether you are feeling like you're enough, that you, you've got this figured out. I want you to hear that you're not alone. And that the Spirit of God is at work in our midst. But is at work in order to make us more like Christ. To bring about the will of God. And so as we enter into this over the next few weeks, I want to challenge you to consider the role the Spirit plays in your own life. And maybe you've never studied this before. What a great time to just sit down and in your weekly devotion start doing some biblical research on what is the role of the Spirit and why should I care? And as we walk through this together, my heart and my desire is to see us not only appreciate but understand the depth and the impact and the promise that exists within the role of the Spirit in our lives because we do not talk enough about that. So as we pray today, maybe you just need to pause and consider the areas of your life where you need to allow the Spirit of God to influence you more. Maybe you just need to hear the words of Scripture and Jesus Himself saying, I will not leave you as orphans. But the Helper, the Spirit of God, is present with you. Whatever that is, I'm going to pray. And then after this is done, I want you to just take some time and reflect on these. 
If you journal, write some of your thoughts out. And we're just going to seek to allow this to be glorifying to God and equipping for His church and that we would understand biblically the affirmation of the Spirit and its work in our lives. Father, I pray that as we are challenged with these theological truths, as we're challenged with the reminders and the encouragements of this, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, grow us to become more like your Son, we pray. Help us to see where we are weakest. Lord, transform our minds, renew our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.